and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 278. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. Welcome, everybody, on this Tuesday afternoon. It's a little chilly here in the east, a little damp, and... Uh, we, you know, it's. I'm excited because you're excited. We were, I'm excited. We were talking on the phone and saying that you needed kind of a re to get re-energized about uh, podcasting, and lo and behold, you are. <laughs> remember that. Uh, remember that Chappelle show skit where he played. He was the black guy who was a, a white racist. Oh yeah, it was, K- guy. it was KKK, guy. and he says, "If you got hate in your heart, get it out." <laughs> no, I, <laughs> Oh, That's okay. what he's trying to a meme for him. Yeah, yeah, the kid. Well, no, you're a kid from uh, Patheos. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's all relative, right? Yeah. So we're not going to delve into David Bentley Hart and Universalism today because we're going to read that book. It'd probably take us a combined total of two hours, but <laughs> uh, but we're going to talk <laughs> well, about. Well we, are, well, we are. Yeah, we are working on it, and we're actually revisiting von Balthasar, and we're going to put the two of them in conversation yeah. with each other. But. But uh, it just so happens... It'll be like Lincoln and Donald Trump in conversation. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Is there anything you want to say about current events, though, first of all? Uh, <laughs> Howard Stern is in L.A. Why is he in Just LA? to visit, like to do Bill Maher, to do book promotion, and to be all on right. Ellen. Also. And he had Schwarzenegger. He's like, first of all, Howard, Jimmy didn't do this. I want to welcome you to LA <laughs> and then he started talking about like it was the best argument for climate change stuff he's like look California is the fifth largest economy just be four, four biggest countries than us and we have the strictest environmental laws and we have a booming GDP so I'm classic Republican and I'm saying we can beat this Howard he's like I just feel like it's a losing issue. No, Howard, you and I both said we can climb to the top. I tell people motivationally, you have to. Sh- I said I'm going to be the best bodybuilder, the biggest actor. So we have to be positive about climate change. We're going to win. All right. Well, I'm yeah. post millennial today. Very, very good. No, well, hey, there's a great, interesting article too in New York Times about what happened, ghost force. What happens even though you know you're the water sea levels only you know being raised by you know a few milliliters, but that can have impact well within shore. So it's an interesting argument. Those of us in the East Coast and love the shoreline, uh, it was uh, around the Chesapeake and the Jersey Shore. And also. But that could be a church growth strategy for you. All of a sudden, Feasterville is a beachfront could church. Be beachfront, yeah. beach, Feasterville by the sea. At least, at least we, can, we, can set my, we can set up my successor for that. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Very good, yeah. No, I mean, obviously, uh, the president uh, continues to be who he is. Uh, this thing with the... Uh, it's complicated. The Kurdish, the Kurdish situation on the Turkish border is very complicated. But we all know <laughs> that just announcing a change the night before uh, is not good for anybody. No, no, yeah. I mean, but yeah, boy, America has a long, long history of of setting up people in different parts of the world to be with us, and then when things go wrong or we decide we don't want to do this anymore. Just, you know, letting them to the wolves. We're like, uh, who's from West Virginia? Who's our favorite senator? Uh, Oh, Manchin? Yeah. We're like Joe Manchin, America. We're always there if you don't need us. (laughs) 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 He's the swing vote that you never need. Yeah, yeah, no. Any rate, but, uh, yeah, so... And by the way, uh, we should say, uh, we're starting a Mitt Romney fan club. I mean, (laughs) Mitt Romney actually... Uh, is is turned out to be uh you know he's found his spice he's 
He's found mighty it. Mitt. He's mighty Mitt. He has not since he saved the Olympics. <laughs> exactly. He's mighty Mitt. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, that's going on. So uh, we uh, we we certainly have obstruction now as an article of impeachment. <laughs> so that's actually pretty. And the Eagles crazy. won yesterday. Monday uh, and Steelers lost. So life goes on. It's nine sacks. Yeah, suddenly you're a football fan. Well, I guess that you were at a party. That's yeah, I was, but I kind of like, I like, I should do this more, like watch football because I find it fun to talk about. There we go. Absolutely. That's, there's a lot going on. So, yeah. So there we are. All right. So there we go. Time for bread and circus. <laughs> well, okay. We're uh, continuing our discussion of the romance of orthodoxy. And uh, by the way, I just want us to say we picked Marcy Knight heresy to do next before we had really seen the Marcy Knight confession of David Bentley Hart. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Matter of fact, we were going to do it last time, but then we decided we should do... Uh, we should do docentism first, because historically, we felt like it's kind of... It seems like, even though they're kind of growing up together, it seemed like the, the ordering to do Yeah, well, maybe before we talk about Marcionism in 2019, we should first put it in its original context. Marcion was from uh, Sinope, on, uh, which is, I think, it's Sinope today in, in Turkish city. It's on the Black Sea. Uh, his father was a bishop. Um, again, because what we know most about him from, are from the people who uh, uh, were speaking against him. And he shows up, man. He shows up in all of I feel like that's what most people know about us. Yeah. <laughs> from the people that speak against us. Yeah. Really. So, anyway, so, yeah, because uh, Aranaeus speaks about him. Uh, Clement, Origen, uh, he also, um, uh, you know. Uh, Jeff is hoping this would be a comparison between, Jeff Holskull coming from Facebook, between uh, David Bentley Hart and Andy, Andy Stanley. Stanley. <laughs> I, I think Andy Stanley is, I would take Andy Stanley over David Bentley Hart every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Yeah. I don't. I don't really have a care to vote. <laughs> I vote solidly. I take Bill's vote. Andy Stanley, right. much better. Anyway, so Marcion came to the Church of Rome. Uh, his father was both a bishop in the Black Sea area uh, in Sinope and a, a wealthy shipbuilder. He comes to Rome and um, gets involved in the Church of Rome. There makes a large donation uh, to their uh, ministry work, particularly with the poor and such. And begins a teaching. Uh, I think he, I don't remember. Uh, By the way, Jeff wants us to know his on-air kit name is Some, some Kid from Pathios. You know, SKFP. Say, it could be a rap name. Everybody gets their 15 minutes, Jeff. I'd be surprised it happened this way. Exactly. I mean. <laughs> so anyway, he, he's involved in Church of Rome. Um, I don't remember if he's ordained a presbyter or not. I don't remember that part. But he begins teaching, um, uh, in essence, uh, he he's often lumped with the Gnostics. That's what uh, Irenaeus does, and so subsequently he gets lumped with them. It's a little different than some of the Gnostics. Uh, Eusebius just kind of puts him in there with the, you know, you start with Simon, uh, Simon, and you move all the way uh, all up. But uh, he began teaching um, that uh, the God of the Old Testament uh, was a different God, was associated with the Demiurge. And that uh, and the demiurge was like the uh, Gnostic junior god, right? Kind of the the creator dog god. The, and because, like most Gnostic sips, and he's <laughs> skip, skip, yeah, some kid, some kid 
Inpathios. Inpathios. Let's yeah. call him Inpathios. Inpathios, yeah. Skip. Skip's in the house. So in essence, he, he, he accepts the Gnostic kind of framework that that world is bad, that kind of Greek, you know, small g, platonic idea that the world is a tomb, world is fallen. So he takes that part, some of that part of the of the Gnostic mythology, and he basically rewrites, matter of fact, he's the first one we think that has a canon of the New Testament that is only Paul, Luke uh, with the Jewish parts expunged, um, and that he basically rejects the Old Testament as being part of the Christian story. Are we frozen? No, we're not. Oh, we are? Are we frozen? Looks like we are. Uh, we're not frozen on the on the sound. We are frozen on the sound. We have system overload. Okay. All right, so we're going to record again. There we go. Uh, let me see where we stopped. Guys, this is you're getting real behind the scenes. So the Jewish parts expunged. Guys, yeah. you're really seeing the underground of the recording. There we go. We're we're back. We're back. Yeah, and uh, basically, you know, now he did say. In- By the way, Jeff sa- Jeff says we're good on Facebook. He and Fitch never did this. Okay. <laughs> By the way, can we preview? We didn't even tell Jeff we're going to do this, but. Jeff, you're our guest for our our apicotostasis heresy. Yeah. So Skip, we'll be here with Skip. <laughs> so um, he also said that the, there was that Jesus was not the Jewish Messiah. Uh, he anticipated that that uh, would be coming. Um, there would be a Jewish Messiah, but that um, Jesus was the Messiah in a sense. He was the Savior of the world. Uh, I don't know who said this the first time I heard this, but Robert Wilkin. Maybe it was Robert Wilkin. I'll attribute it to him. That um, no one in the early church understood St. Paul except Marcion, and then Marcion misunderstood him. And uh, That may have been Becker. I may go back to Becker. But basically, he is one of the first uh, attempts to, to kind of divorce the Christian movement from its Jewish heritage. You know, we kind of talked about last week the, the need, you know, one of the first, well, two weeks ago, we talked about the first great crisis in Christianity was the idea that. In that Christ is doing something new and Gentiles are now incorporated in the people of God, this would be the maybe extreme uh, uh, conclusion of that, that actually the Jewish thing was not even a forerunner, but it was something that was bad and evil. And again, he uses a lot of the examples of, of what he would call the offensive things God does in the Hebrew scriptures, where God seems to have ignorance, where God changes his mind. Those are all examples that that surely, surely could not be the high God. So Canaanite that, genocide? Yeah. You say Van Harnock was the one who came up with that? Okay, very good. That makes sense. Yeah. From Adam Morton. Thank Adam you. Morton, from thank Lancaster you. County on Facebook Live. This is why we're a community. Adam, you were probably in his class the day he said that, weren't yeah. you? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but um, so anyway, that's that's kind of that's kind of Marcy Knight in a in a nutshell. And one could say some of the most creative and positive contributions that Irenaeus makes are in response polemically to, to the Marcion vision. And so in many ways, even the Gloria Patre, as it was in the beginning, is now to the end. We sing that in part as saying no to the Marcion heresy. We need a better tune to that song. Though. I've changed the tune. We sing it different. What do you do? I don't know. Something. How do you sing it? Like I have, I have to have my guitar. It's in the key of D. <laughs> so anyway, Gloria. But anyway, no, you can. You know, okay, a... Ken Tanner from Michigan comes. To, I feel like we're getting Adam Morton 
is coming to us from Central PA. Ken's coming. To, we're getting all the places where Trump is in trouble. Our comments are coming. Right, so right, this right. is good. Uh, don't forget that David Bentley Hart's claim against the Biblicists is that they are the Marcionites, reading the text literally instead of spiritually in Christ. Well, okay. We're again. We're we're getting into Bentley Hart. We might as well go ahead and read. Uh, and and that is, I mean, the fact that Marcion took a very little reading of the text is part of is part of was part of his hermeneutic. So that's uh, that is part of it. I would I would argue that he was not. Uh, not the only one to take the text literally, when particularly when the text was to be taken literally, but uh, that was part of. Can I read the, the, the like? It's not it's excessive, and we don't need it for the argument, but just for context, I just want to read the thing where the kid from Patheos gets mentioned. Okay, so this ahead. is so basically in a response to a review of that all may be saved, which is what everybody should do is just kind of do long rants on the reviews of a good selling <laughs> book, you know. Like, so he says in the pages of First Things, the excitable and delirious Doug Farrow. Doug Farrow, like one of the best books on the Eucharist, Ascension and Ecclesia. It's basically in Calvin's view of the Eucharist, but he kind of says we need to have it not be so vertical, but more horizontal. And like Calvin's right about the spirit lifting us, but lifting us forward or Christ coming backward from the future. He basically changes the platonism it's amazing so but he's delirious uh he's a loser like shifty shift can i read this i'm gonna read it like trump in the pages of first things the excitable and delirious doug farrow took the novel approach of simply misrepresenting the book's contents repeatedly and exorbitantly this is tough because trump doesn't have this vocabulary you're you're speaking in complete Uh, you're speaking uh, in complete sense it's too much go back back to you and then dissolving in demented rage at his own misrepresentations (laughs) i think we in different contexts we might like this guy for just (laughs) saying weird things like this the american religious historian michael mcclymond author of a ghastly history of christian universalism did much the same, though more inadvertently, I imagine, and even less coherently. Some kid at Pathios, too. And Pathios is in italics. I don't know why. Is that because it's a link, I guess? They have also complained that the book is too rhetorically fierce, though in fact it is not. (laughs) That's like Donald Trump. They say it's shifty, but it's not totally. It's a beautiful call. It's a beautiful book. This is Lindsey Graham called me and said, this is the nicest book on universalism I've ever read. <laughs> I didn't know you could be so nice. Yeah, It's not. That, that too, they have misrepresented by willfully taking phrases out of context. Parentheses. And of course, what they really mean is that if I find a particular theological idea, say babies who die unbaptized, descending to perpetual torment, repellent or foolish, I am supposed to observe American theological etiquette and call it instead troubling and debatable, thus never challenging anyone with the moral scandal that the idea might involve. And then he says, so, oh, for a worthy critic, one who can follow the argument my book advances. And he says, you have not quite provided me with that, Peter. Right. But he then goes on to say... Well, yeah, uh, he's responding to Peter Lightheart's um, critique, or I guess, yeah, you would call it a critique of of his book. And, and the interesting thing why we're talking about this in the context of Marcion is that we would contend that uh, uh, Dr. Hart would both have, uh, in claiming not to be a Marcion, uh, then proceeds to embrace Marcion. In a way that, like... So do yeah. you, I'll just read this. Yeah. 
Uh, wait, I'm, that's the part where he says Peter just needs to convert to read Galatians and Hebrews yeah. and then convert to Orthodox. Yeah. Uh, he says that basically the God of the Bible, <laughs> TBH is the theological version yeah, of Trump. Right, I would say, I would say, if I could pick who I would hang out with, Trump or David Banghart, I would pick Trump. And I say that without qualification. Okay. Yeah. It's not judging. I'm just saying who I would hang out. I, I'd hang out with Luther over Calvin. Yeah, well, I would do that too. Yeah. And and, and uh, Trump over David Bentley. <laughs> it's just, I'm just saying. It's kind of the same thing. Ginger or Marianne? Uh, Marianne. Marianne. Hey, anyway, moving on. So basically, Lightheart's critique is, is the God of the Old Testament the Lord, you know, the Tetragrammaton, Yahweh, right. is he good? Uh, he says, first of all, there's no single Yahweh in the Hebrew corpus. The various texts that the Second Temple redactors collated into the Torah and Tanakh emanate from various epochs in the development of Canaanite and Israelite religion and reflect the spiritual sensibilities of very different moments in the evolution of what would in time become Judaism. Most of the Hebrew Bible is a polytheistic gallimaufry. I don't know what that word means. What does gallimaufry mean? I don't know. I'm just a, a carnival. I'm, I'm assuming it's bad. Yeah. I'm assuming if we, if we knew what it meant, it would sound anti-Semitic. And Yahweh is a figure in the shifting pantheon of Elohim or deities. In the later prophets, he is for most part a very good God, yes, and even appears to become something like God in the fullest sense. But in most of the Old Testament, he is, of course, presented as quite evil, a blood-drenched, uh, cruel, war-making, uh, genocidal, irascible, murderous, jealous storm god. I think the nicest thing he said there was storm god. That's like Thor. Well, that's, that's originally, some people think that's where Yahweh originally was, a storm god. Was Thor. Yeah, that's be the title of this podcast. Yahweh was Thor. Yeah. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Andrew Stravitz, Barry Stewart, Ben Crosby, Ben DeHart, Carol Clemens, Charlotte Donlin, David Norling, David Saul, Ellis Brazil, Jennifer Spite, Jennifer Underwood, Jim Cress, Joel Wentz, John Schneider, Jonathan Butran, Jordan Mossberger, Josh Redder, Kai Wittenpeg, Larry Rule, Liam O'Brien, Michael Butera, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Konauer, Sari Graham, Simone Garabedi, and Stephen Rowe, and Jody Stevenson. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. 
Neither he nor his rival or king or father or equal alter ego, Elohim or deities. In later prophets, he is, for the most part, a very good God, yes, and even appears to become something like God in the full sense. But in most of the Old Testament, he is, of course, presented as quite evil, a blood-drenched, cruel, war-making, genocidal, irascible, murderous, jealous storm god, a.k.a. Thor. Neither he nor his rival or king or father or equal alter ego. Now we're in the Incredible Hulk. We have alter egos. Uh uh, depending on which era of Canaanite religion we're talking about, El or Elion or Elohim is a good god. Each is psychologically limited. Each is a psychologically limited mythic figure from a rich but violent ancient Near Eastern culture. We're really on the struggle bus today. You know, we're just going to take the video from the. We're just going to take the audio from the Facebook Live. Okay, we're not going to. We're not going to do this again. Uh or more accurately, two cultures that progressively amalgamated over many centuries. Judaism, as we know it today, and Christianity came into existence in much the same period of Greco-Roman culture. You know, Peter a, a, uh, is a fundamentalist. And then do we get to the worst of the Marcionite comment? Uh, neither was they. Modern fundamentalists. Oh, here we go. Judaism, as we know it today, and Christianity came into existence in much the same period of Greco-Roman culture, and both reflect the religious thinking of their time. Neither was ever literalist in the way you apparently are. The only ancient Christian figure whom we can reliably say to have read the Bible in the manner of modern fundamentalists was Marcion of Sinope, which you described beautifully. I'd want to live there. He exhibited far greater insight than modern fundamentalists, however, in, the, in that he recognized that the God described in the Hebrew Bible, if taken in mythic terms provided there, is something of a monster, hence obviously not the Christian God. Happily, his literalism was an aberration. And then he just basically says that everybody in the church just kind of dismissed the Old Testament, reinterpreted allegorically, uh, and Protestantism was a superstition. Uh, I mean... In, in short, you want me to account for myself in a way answerable to the hermeneutical practices of communities gestated with a religion born in the 16th century. But those practices are at once superstitious, deeply bizarre. They are not Christian in any meaningful way. They are not Jewish either, as it happens. They're a late Protestant invention and a deeply silly one. From Paul through the Middle Ages, only the spiritual reading of the Old Testament was accorded doctrinal or theological authority. In that tradition, even literal exegesis was not the sort of literalism you seem to pr presume. Not to read the Bible in the proper manner is not to read it as the Bible at all. Scripture is inspirited, inspired, in hype inspired. That is only when read spiritually. So. Yeah. Well, okay. You know, I think in terms of, um, I mean, there are so many potential problems here. I, I think, first of all, I, I think the most problematic and the most offensive one is the idea of just kind of writing off the entire Old Testament, uh, except for a few high marks. Uh, you know, what's the interesting thing about that is that that's, that's not, uh, it is an impulse that's, uh, that often has shown itself in the Christian church, um, perhaps in part by the same motivation that was fueling, um, fueling Marcion. You know, we have to, I don't think you can look at Marcion apart from the backdrop of the Bar Kokhba revolt, which was going on, uh, you know, it had just happened. Uh, well, it depends on how you date it, but it's uh, 
Uh, Marcion is a rough contemporary. I've never been more impressed with you than I am right now. I don't even know what the barbacoa. That's in Spain, right? No, it was an, it was a barcocopa. Son of Cocopa was a messiah, <clears throat> and uh, it was a Jewish revolt that happened uh, around. Oh, bar coca, a bar son of. Okay, yeah, son of yeah, and uh, you know, like a whole Roman legion disappeared. I mean, they were successful. They may have even at one point. Um, had begun rebuilding uh, temp. I mean, there they there was they were printing. Uh, they were doing script corn coin on the, in Jerusalem at the time, uh, but it was as devastating. By the way, we're thinking about doing like sort of cryptocurrency here. Persuasive words. <laughs> yeah. If you send us some money, we will give you a we'll give, cryptocurrency. <laughs> we'll give you MP- Bill, Bill's profile. It's beautiful. We'll I mean, give you MPW money. Yeah. yeah. But so anyway, so I think there's a sense where. Um, for good reasons, uh, you know, uh, anytime one begins to denigrate the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, one is wondering what's actually going on there. Uh, and so I, I think that's one of the, one of the problematics. The idea is that uh, Aaron Asus' response to Marcion, I think, was, was probably one that's worthy to happen in this situation as well. Uh, and I, so I think there's a sense where uh, certainly – there were uh, hermeneutic issues with Marcion, but but his agenda was not not because he read the Bible literally. That's not what was driving Marcion's agenda. That may have been one of the tools he used, but one would have to argue that the very reason we have a multiple level of scripture interpretation in the early church, threefold, that eventually becomes fourfold, was because there are different tools to be used at different times. But uh, uh, I, I even think the idea of, of the spiritual being the highest one is is not really totally fair to what's going on in in some really serious um, hermeneutical work in the early church. I'm, I'm even Origen, who in many ways is the father of spiritual interpretation. You certainly go back to Clement, you know, the whole Alexandrian school, um, and then even before that, there are already the the you know uh, mystical reading of the mythical you know stories has already happened. in religious thing when you know when Plato when Platoism goes from being less concerned about epistemology in the first generation and now becomes more of a religious movement in the middle platonic movement or middle platonic stage or eclectic platonism whatever you want to call that stage i, I you know this i so this spiritualizing or spiritual reading of myth and spiritual reading of text okay that is certainly in in the air part of why the old testament becomes part of the christian canon is saying no to that as well as as embracing a reworking of and a reinterpretation of the text through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I think right, the church fathers are with the pre-Socratics and, and Plato in that they're saying the God that we're worshiping, the God of Israel, is not Zeus, is not an angry, bloodthirsty right. deity. But uh, but at the same time, it it's the God of the incarnation, the God that is storied in history, and so it's messier than than. The, the sort of highest good of Plato. I mean, it, it, the way the story is told, God, you know, I remember the dumbest question I ever asked Robert Jensen. <laughs> <laughs> I said that once. So I, I, I was doing graduate. So I, said, I wanted to meet with Jensen. So I sit there and I just asked all the dumb evil that I was like, what about evil? Like with your pre, he's like, well, you can't have uh history without evil. And, God needs a history. And I'm like, why? He said, because he wanted to include you in his salvation. I was like, 
All right, I feel dumb. But, <laughs> but I mean, so, some of this is is the nature of the Bible. I, I would say different than the Quran. I mean, the Quran, we're in a religious dialogue. It's not the Quran and the Bible. It's Quran and Christ because right. Christ is the eternal word and so is the Quran. Right. And on some level, I think there's more messy stories in the Bible than the Quran because yeah, they're not, there's tons of stories that aren't principalized or they don't have some neat pedagogical example and some of it is that the God revealed in Jesus Christ in the history of Israel is in a messy history. And, 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 and mm-hmm. you can't just excise that history. It's just bad psychology of angry ancient Near Eastern people. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that it's a, it's a, I mean, it's almost in a very kind of, again, he's not, I mean, Hart was not writing a, he was he was rhetorically responding to Lightheart. He wasn't writing a, a positive, if you would, approach to his view of of the evolution of the tradition. But to say that the majority of the Old Testament portrays an angry, bloodthirsty God would would uh, would not really be an accurate portrayal of the of the Hebrew Scriptures. Again, I, I mean, I think for me the problem passages are are plentiful. I'm not I'm not ready to say they're not there. But to say, I, I think Jesus certainly is breathing very similar air that you have in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and some of the latter prophets. And there's some pretty rough stuff in those those books as well. Uh, even, you know, yes, we, you know, Isaiah 40 through 55, I think is the single most quoted section of scripture in the New, from the Old Testament into the New Testament but you know, uh, it's not quite so cheery from fifty six <laughs> to sixty five. So, so I, I just think it. There's something about, uh, you know, again, the problem. With I just seven- imagine you at an open mic, like with your acoustic guitar, going. I'm going to play a few. I've 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 written a few Christian songs where I put Isaiah fifty six to sixty five to. To song, <laughs> some like something like idiot when someone's got it in like that kind of tone. <laughs> and 50, yeah, yeah, the, the song, the songs of uh, Third Isaiah. Yeah, we're back. It ain't so hot. <laughs> Bill's gonna do some songs yeah. that the jaded millennials yeah, will enjoy. Uh, the suffering servant lied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but uh, again, I just think the terms of now again. I mean, but you said something too before we recorded you were like look we all do canon within a canon yes luther everybody does it right everybody has but you said the point of the canon is that we have parts that we don't like and and you can't get rid of them and and whatever you view inspiration whatever like we have an ecumenical consensus this is our authoritative text and so you just can't uh we all do hermeneutical privileging but then you can't use hermeneutical privileging to functionally excise the Make your own canon. Right. In other words, and again, I mean, Hart is not the first person or will be the last person to do it. I mean, uh, and it's it's funny. It's both it's both a liberal, progressive, and I guess now an orthodox problem, or he's the orthodox problem. <laughs> <laughs> they have to deal with him, not we don't. But, I, you know, I think the thing about it is, for instance, the Church of Christ, uh, you know, which is a whole restorationist movement. And those of you in the South and, uh, you know, they were huge in Texas and things, but they basically write off the Old Testament. Now, it's funny. It, you would expect them to be like this free-loving, gentle group of people, but that, their exorcism, their exorcism of the Old Testament God, they just reincarnate that uh, Old Testament God and what they call the New Testament God. 
so that you know, there's a lot of, uh, and certainly I think a lot of. You know who's the most balanced hermeneutically though is Donald Trump when Heilman and Halpert asked him, "Are you more of an Old Testament or are you a Testament?" He goes, "I'd say fifty fifty. <laughs> <laughs> and Trump could be just about balance, you know. Like, I'd say fifty-fifty. Yeah, that's that's. There we go. There we go. So I think you know that's you know the idea that even when I to to you know this is sometimes when I go back and forth with you. Well, not necessarily you, but with some of our friends. You know, the trouble of justification by faith being the only lens, right? Is that it? You know, what we well the history of the history of some certain aspects of Lutherism and evangelicalism show us what happens if that's the only lens. So. My whole thing is even if I uh, find a particular – like my own can within the canon, uh, which I certainly operate under, but I can't just throw out the rest of it. I can't say, well, OK, you know, the second temple editors and probably the edit, a lot of the editing probably happened in Babylon, not even once they got – before they got back to the temple. But nonetheless, wherever – And what happens in Babylon doesn't stay in Babylon. They carry it back to Las Vegas. It doesn't matter. They carry – Ezra carries it back in his backpack. He comes back and brings it back. But, you know, one of the things I even was thinking about – this was in the lectionary. I didn't preach on it. But the Nehemiah passage, I think it was in the lecture not too long ago where uh, the joy of the Lord is my strength or maybe – no, that wasn't the lectionary. I was reading it for a particular – maybe using it for a funeral. But remember that text happens after they've read the Torah, they've read the story, and everybody's upset. And the priests say, no, you shouldn't be upset about this. You should be happy about this. And one of the things I think that, you know, has taught me by listening to to Jewish scholars and people who, who love their faith and, and who are faithful followers of their God is how they read the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, they hear certain things I don't hear. So, I mean, the fact is that... Uh, Hartley's caricature of the Hebrew scriptures would be deeply offensive. Um, however, neither do they exercise the hard stuff away. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're there. I think I remember Becker or not Becker, uh, um, Carfried Froelich one time talking about the trouble with offensive language or the, no, the trouble with inclusive language in, in the Bible is that it takes away the offensive language. And he says the offensive language is part of the story. In other words, that's part of what we have to struggle with in the in the genuine text. And anytime we try to make the text more, um, you know, more pliable to us, or you know, are are less offensive or more accommodating to us, he says there's always a danger that part of the offense of the text may be part of the message. Yeah, and you posted something about timeliness and convenience, like yeah. that the doctrines. The way doctrine develops, like when we're thinking about the biblical story in our context, like oftentimes we get insights from timeliness, yeah, yeah. but also convenience. Sometimes like it, it – and it's hard to separate them out, but like right. sometimes like you – like the timeliness of of the universal question is that lots of Christians live next to people of different faiths and no faith, which right. would have been different in, you know, if you're in the Middle Ages, like – in the middle of Germany or something, you're not on the coast and, you know, you have to, uh, you know, but the convenience temptation is like, well, let's just solve the problem by excising something that we find problematic. Yeah, like, we, don't, we don't like hell because it doesn't fit into our particular view of the goodness of God. So therefore we will just take it out of tradition and then also say that everyone in tradition really thought the way I do. And that's, that's, it's problematic from a historical perspective, but it's 
it's problematic from a, a faith perspective as well. Now we've been joking, you know, maybe David Bentley Hart has has personal reasons for wanting there to be universalism. Exactly. <laughs> but and so should we all, right? Isn't yeah. That, so should we all? Right. Yeah. Right. So I mean, that's. Uh, but I think the thing about it is, um, I, again, I, sometimes I think when it comes down to it, I'm a I'm a closet biblicist because I think there's. It, I think you're out of the closet. On out that. of the closet. Of this, but I think the text. The offensive texts are there, and I have to believe part of why I trust that um, the reason the church said no to Marcion, that the reason those texts are in the canon is because there's something there that I need to hear. I mean, he, everyone points out the Abraham Isaac story. It's it's in many ways the most problematic passages of the scripture, but, you know, for Kierkegaard, it was the, it was the key to faith, and... Uh, and you know what Zizek says about that? No. He's like, he, Kierkegaard points out, like all the good theologists though, even an amateur theologian is better than Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably fair. That's probably fair. Yeah. Gosh, if Kierkegaard's an amateur theologian, where does that put a lot of other people? Well, he said, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so I want to close with this quote from, I, I don't necessarily agree with all of it, but I think it's a mature, he's an Orthodox convert, uh, priest, father. Lawrence Farley, who was an Anglican, became Orthodox. He said, the law with its provision was given to Israel as it became a nation after the exodus at the foot of Mount Sinai. We say this and affirm that Israel was God's nation, but often do not stop to reflect on what this nationhood necessarily involved. In a word, it involved Israel beginning its national existence with military combat, fighting for its existence and for a place to live in the same way and using the same methods that everyone else used at the time. This is where all the hard parts of the book of Joshua come in. For Israel to survive as a nation, there was no other way. All Canaan was occupied by peoples bigger, stronger, better armed, and crueler than they. Peaceful coexistence was not on anyone's agenda uh, back then. The options available to Israel as an infant nation entering Canaan the way they did, whether to conquer to retain their identity or to be assimilated to other nations or be annihilated by them. There was ultimately no happy option in the provision of the law presuppose their existence in this hard and cruel world. Those laws with commands to conquer and kill and to build altars and sacrifice animals, to circumcise the young, to keep certain food laws were not the final goal of this nation's existence. Christ was the final goal. The Old Testament is the divine record of how God worked with his people until Christ came. God of Joshua did transition to the father of Jesus Christ. Israel did prepare the way for the divine power of the cross. The Old Testament, all its hard parts was part of that preparation. Yeah, I think that's right on. You know, I think the other thing too is, all right, for And that, also, we could interpret, like we could, the, the, the last sentence there, the Old Testament with all its hard parts as part of that preparation, we could theologically debate like everything in that preceding yeah. paragraph, right? We could alter, but ultimately, it, unless you can say that last sentence, I mean, you're, you're more saying that kind of, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I think we have to be, you know, again, even like theories of the atonement. I mean, I've, Wow, by the way, newsflash, we have Adam Morton in 100% agreement with Bill Bohr. He posts from Facebook, 100% agree. Bill, I think we find the real power of scripture in these strange, disagreeable irregularities. I have no idea how to operate without them. Yeah. Even when they piss me off. Yeah. And here, Ken, Tar Ken Tanner, I think hearts understand the Old Testament more nuanced. That, That's probably fair. That is right. It should be. And uh, uh, just like, uh, you know, Donald Trump was joking when he asked China. 
No, like, come on. I'm kidding. I'm just We're kidding. kidding. We're just, Although I still would hang out with Trump over. Uh, well, I, don't, I don't really care. It's, I don't, I'm, I'll, uh, you know, again, one thing we do, I, we both really have appreciated greatly some of Hart's earlier work. Yeah, yeah. Beauty and the Infinite it's, and his response to New Atheist. Even that one on uh, the theodicy, the doors, the sea, like, that, that's pretty good. Beauty like, and the Infinite, everyone should have a Yeah, everybody shelf. should have that. Yeah, a shelf, book on their shelf. But I think for me, again, whether whatever our temptation to remold the faith, isn't that really... And what the struggle against, well, might as well call it heresy, but the struggle for the romance of orthodoxy was always to hold things in tension. And uh, with every correction, you know, there came an, came an overreach. And, those, you know, and I think this isn't done yet. I mean, I mean, Chesterton says the pre-modern man would rather have two truths in tension than settle for a half-truth. And I, I, I feel like that's, I'd rather have two truths in tension than yeah, a half-truth. Yeah, yeah. So, um, again, um, I think... Do you think Hart's going to respond to this? Like, uh, I did tag his Facebook page. Uh, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, he's, you know, I mean... Uh, Just a couple kids from Philadelphia. <laughs> Ken also says, as filed under some of the Old Testament, there's serious moral questions. This is... Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. It has to be faced. The Old Testament's messy. Uh, well, we said that. We said absolutely it does. Uh, but, you know. Um, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The promises revealed belong to you and your children forever. Like, but And I, you know what? If I, if you had to ask who I'm more sympathetic with, I'm more sympathetic with the School of Alexandria than the School of Antioch. But School of Antioch is as much part of the tradition and an important part. And um, so, yeah. And it's it's interesting. Philo... Uh, has much more influence with Alexandrian Christian than he certainly ever did with his own Jewish folks. Yeah. So, anyway, very good. Thank you, my friends. Thank you all for listening. Our friends. The beat nice. goes on. All right. Yeah, the beat goes on. Bye now.